0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Life in the fast lane is a phrase we like to use in our culture, even in this church from time to time, though we, heaven forbid, would not want anyone to see us rushing. It's a phrase which captures the frenetic rhythm and the brisk tempo of life for so many of us. We feel driven, not drawn, to get where we are going, which often happens to be where we were supposed to be 15 minutes ago. Feeling invincible and in control, sheathed in two tons of metal, we expect those around us to be going our way making way or at least not getting in our way, giving us the right of way and otherwise maintaining a safe distance, anticipating our wishes and deferring to our desires, even when we do not clearly and courteously signal our intentions. Now, if we get lost or if an unexpected detour reroutes us, our emotions are heightened And our anxieties are exacerbated. In such a state of mind, which often creeps up on us unawares, many of us are liable to take badly to unexpected intrusions on our train of thought or on the flow of traffic immediately ahead of us, drivers who distract us by erratic weaving in and out, those who intentionally or unintentionally cut us off, seeming to put our own safety in jeopardy, and those motorway maniacs out of control can evince from us an involuntary response, verbal and even physical gesticulations, Invocations of the deity, which we don't want our children in the back seat to hear. And these things motivate us even to alter our driving patterns in order to make eye contact and communicate our distress to those who have violated our rights. Never a wise thing to do at any speed, let alone doing 85 in a 60-mile zone. Now these things can get out of hand, as we all know. And we can witness a powerful iteration of Newton's third law from the Principia of 1686, known to us all. Action and reaction are equal and opposite. Any force is met by a counterforce, a pushback of equal intensity and in the opposite of direction. We can see that law made real right before us. Just this week was on BBC, an incident involving a motorcycle, a sedan, and a pickup truck on California Highway 14, somewhere around Burbank. A near miss between the cyclist and the sedan resulted in an altercation, which caused the cyclist, who had been cut off, by the sedan to pull onto the shoulder and kick the door of the sedan. No mean feat of driving, may I say, and this motorcyclist was pretty good, which caused the sedan to try to cut him off. Instead, however, the sedan began to ricochet from one lane to the other. Onto the median in a shower of sparks and twisted metal and back again. In the process, T-boning the pickup truck, a Cadillac, which spun onto its roof and whose driver was taken to hospital. The motorcycle sped away, and California Highway Patrol are still looking for him. Newton's law, then. Governing our physical life, it also has psychological and even sociological ramifications. I think the fault was just both parties letting their emotions get the best of them. Eyewitness Chris Traber of Santa Clarita said, This is what happens when you lose control. This is what happens when you lose control. Something more happened, however, than a temporary loss of control, a flaring up of temper. Apart from the damage and injury, both drivers appeared to manifest what psychologists refer to as IED, or Intermittent Explosive Disorder, in which people respond to provocation with violent or verbally aggressive outbursts disproportionate to any given situation. Well, that's up to debate. The root of this behavior, in turn, is something called hostile attribution bias, the belief that every accidental involuntary injury or threat is actually voluntary, purposeful, and personal, People with IED then, who also have HAB, <laughs> overpersonalize every interaction and then overreact with immediate aggression. In other words, they're out of control. They are. And the one thing they don't have is self-control. At moments like this, they are controlled. They have come under the control of something else. Now, what is that something else? What is that thing that reaches up, seizes control of otherwise reasonable, sweet, irenic, and decent law-abiding citizens, and makes them revert to the law of the jungle? The law that says only the fittest survive, and when you are given a threat, you respond, acting out on your own with a counter-threat. This also, by the way, may I say, is the whole basic principle which undergirds our system of justice, equal and opposite. What you do will be done to you. What comes around goes around. You get what's coming to you, if you like. We'll paint these things in turn. Now, one of the things that strikes me about this interaction is the temporary loss by those involved, if they ever had it, of the notion that God is present and maybe more omnipresent moment to moment than we can amass or imagine, and also more omnibenevolent or disposed to do good moment to moment. If not in the driver's seat, perhaps God should be in more of our lifetime interactions, and we would do well to keep that in mind. But when we're pushed to the wall, we don't react from a place of prayer. The psalmist says, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shot up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. The psalmist says, in other words, we know what it is to be on the defensive. And when we're on the defensive, we go on the offensive even without knowing it. We know what it is to stumble into inherited patterns of behavior, which seize control of our lives, take the steering wheel from us and dash us right into harm's way. Whether in spontaneous shouts of frustration or rage, or the grim manifestations which one sees almost every week of a domestic or workplace situation turned tragic, the nice suburban ho- house sealed off with that yellow crime scene tape. We all know what it is to be seized, possessed by something which does not one's, one does not oneself possess, which is not under one's control, but which seems to come swiftly from somewhere deep within us, and just as swiftly withdraw in the twinkling of an eye, leaving the world changed for the worse. And all the words of wisdom and all the behavior modification techniques in the world have yet to arrest this operation of action, reaction, equal and opposite. Now, what scripture says to us about that is that the only way to deal With the systemic sin that manifests itself following its own laws to govern our lives is not by some kind of project of self-improvement. We follow the commandments for the benefit of the others, knowing that they do nothing whatsoever for us. So it's not trying to seize control. Things unravel in real life in the fast lane too fast for that. And they do so because we are so tightly knotted up. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whatever, whoever can uproot and unplug the survival instinct, in other words, that part of us that takes every discouraging word as a personal attack, who takes offense quickly and is just as quick to go on the offensive in counterattack, whoever can create and inhabit a world without winners and losers, a world in which nothing is taken for granted and nothing is earned, but in which all is grace, all is gift, will draw near to the kingdom of God right here, right now. To take on a new life, which is what the kingdom brings to us, what the kingdom demands to us, and what the kingdom gives us, we must first give up the old one. And if we can't surrender that life, except that God, in his good grace, will take it from us, spiritually speaking. That he will put the old Adam to death, drowning us in the baptismal bath, crucifying us with Christ, as Paul says, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin and one who has not died has been set free from nothing now our archaeology is our teleology the child is the father of the man learned habits are deeply embedded And personal adaptive strategies with which we may have made protections from adverse circumstances can become our prisons. Our way of navigating this rhythm, relentless rhythm of thrust and counter-thrust, can cause us to devise brilliant plays and plots and ploys with which we have bullied or begged or badgered our way through life. And these can soon enough become a threadbare bag of tricks seen and seen through by others. We find ourselves sooner or later up against it at every turn. And this is nature of sin that is the survival instinct, not just the damage we do to others and ourselves, but the shabby way we conceive life's game and the mean and dishonest way we play it. We live unhappily in a time in which such wretched strategies for living have never been on such flagrant display as they are now in the highest quarters of the land. I need say no more. But there is hope, glorious hope, And it has nothing to do with anything we can do, nothing whatsoever with any amendment of life or new set of moral objectives by which we will compel God to love us by our good behavior and give us another chance. No, God does not wait for us to get our act together in order to show us his love. He cannot, if loving us is his objective, and it is. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead, dead men and women, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. First dead, then alive over and over and over again, as long as it takes to begin to get it. That is the pattern of discipleship we see so splendidly in Romans 6. First you die, then God brings you to life. It's harder than it seems, and it means accepting humility and humiliation, regardless of what, whether we think it's earned. But what is dying, then? What is death? Death is loss, defeat, discouragement, depression, disgrace, maybe, if it has to come for that. For the law of the jungle is also the law, pure and simple. And every system of justice is just that same law, dressed up in Greek robes. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You reap for you so you get what's coming to you. And we are invited... To start with this and then die to all of this. Taking whatever God gives us with humility and compassion. And going wherever God takes us and on whatever path God takes us to get where he wants us. And that is God's grace. The gifts we're not looking for, the thing we don't want, which is the one thing we need over and over and over again. The detour, the dead end even, that will open up to be the highway to heaven. So when we venture forth today or tomorrow into life's multi-lane highway and start to find our way instinctively to the fast lane as our gut always bids us to do, and there always want to get ahead of the person ahead of us, no matter how fast they're driving. Let us keep this in mind. Let us lay off the horn. Let us put our index finger back where it belongs. Let us learn to open our hands, metaphorically rather. Don't take them off the wheel. Lift up our palms the next time we're cut off and let go into a shout of praise. Alleluia. Amen. Lord, let me die again to my gut response and show me your grace again, the grace which is the only way forward and the only way by which I have any claim on heaven and any way of bringing heaven to earth. Amen.